0: chapter two a history of california the american period by robert class cleland this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter two restrictions and evasions so long as california remained under spanish control foreign vessels were forbidden to trade along the coast this restrictive policy however was subject to constant evasion both through the daring and ingenuity of the American navigators, and because necessity and self-interest, coupled with the lack of any adequate means of enforcing the royal decrees, led the Californians themselves to encourage all manner of illicit trade with the foreign interlopers. In this conflict of interests between crown and colonists, California enjoyed no unique distinction, for the same conditions existed everywhere in the Spanish possessions. But inasmuch as the Californians were farthest removed from the seat of authority in Mexico, they were able to enjoy an exceptional freedom in their commercial intercourse with vessels of other nations. In the province itself, except for a few of the crudest arts, there was almost no industrial life. Because of this lack of domestic manufactures, the comfort and welfare of the Californians could be served, law or no law, only by dealings with the foreign trader. The better classes among the Californians were naturally most dependent upon the commodities obtainable in this way, and the trade was therefore highly favored by the mission authorities, wealthy rancheros, and government officials, the last especially obtaining from it not only badly needed supplies, but also very considerable sums of ready money with which to increase their meager and precarious salaries. While the Californians were thus very materially benefited by the coming of the foreign ships, the latter profited equally through trade. The greater part of the business was carried on by barter, and for this purpose the Americans brought with them a wide variety of goods, chiefly from New England, Europe, and China. Thus the cargo of a fur vessel ordinarily consisted of shoes, hardware, crockery, decorated china, cotton cloth, silks of various hues, shawls pepper, spices handkerchiefs of every variety color, powder, and color gunpowder and a hundred and one other articles to meet the needs or vanities of spanish padre gallant or senorita in addition to the skins received in exchange for such articles the foreign vessels also obtained large quantities of supplies especially beef hogs beans and grain which they carried to the russian settlements in alaska along with merchandise from new england and china fresh vegetables from the mission or ranch gardens were likewise in great demand to prevent scurvy among the crews and not infrequently these were accompanied by presents of fresh eggs or other delicacies from padre or ranchero to the ship's commander it is not recorded however that such marks of hospitality dulled the traditional skill of the yankee captains in subsequent trading operations with the courteous californians One of the most serious problems of the navigator off the California coast was that of keeping his vessel in repair and free from barnacles and sea growth. These not only retarded the sailing power of the ship, but if allowed to collect too long, also furnished a breeding place for parasites which eventually ate through the ship's timbers and made her unseaworthy. The usual practice was to careen the ship at certain intervals and burn or scrape off the accumulated growth. This could not be done, however, in any of the well-known ports of the California mainland, without exposing the ship in its helpless condition, together with the crew, to the danger of capture by some unusually zealous or over-covetous official. This, of necessity, led the American navigators, when in California waters, to seek out-of-the-way harbors where the cleaning and refitting of their vessels could be carried on without fear of annoyance from meddling officers of the law the gulf of california furnished several bays suitable for such operations but the most frequented of these ports of refuge were provided by certain islands which lay not far from the california mainland one of the most favored of these was the well-sheltered harbor of catalina since known as avalon to which thousands of visitors now go annually to enjoy the restfulness and delight of its climate and semi-tropic waters The first American ship of record to sail into this quiet bay was the Leela Bird, under command of William Shaler, a Northwest fur trader of characteristic New England stuff. Since the difficulties experienced by Shaler in repairing his vessel, and the ingenuity shown in overcoming his predicaments were typical of many another trader on the California coast in those early days, the story is worth repeating in some detail. The Leela Bird even when she left canton for the northwest coast was so leaky and unseaworthy that she required pumping every ten or fifteen minutes to keep her afloat a year of traffic from the columbia river to guatemala naturally did not improve her condition and on may first eighteen o five shaler sailed into the harbor of avalon to repair the damaged and leaking craft the harbor he named port roselan in honor of a polish exile who had associated himself in the enterprise with shaler and his partner richard cleveland in this sheltered bay some twenty miles from the mainland shaler beached the leela bird in perfect security and established a temporary camp on shore where he landed all the movable parts of the cargo in these operations he was assisted by the indian inhabitants of the island about a hundred and fifty in number The method used in repairing the vessel can best be described in the mariner's own words. After caulking the ship's upper works, and paying, or rather plastering them with a mixture of lime and tallow, as we had no pitch, tar, or any resinous substance on board, we careened her. We found her bottom in a most alarming state. The worms had nearly destroyed the sheathing, and were found to be lodged in the bottom planks. I was now pretty well assured of what I had long before feared, that is, that she would not carry us back to Canton. We, however, repaired the first side in a tolerable manner, and paid it with a thick coat of lime and tallow, righted and hove out the other side, which we found far worse than the first. The keel and stern posts were nearly reduced to a honeycomb. It was necessary to heave her far out in order to apply effectually such remedies as were in our power, but unfortunately we hover rather too far and she upset and filled. This was a sad misfortune. It did not discourage us, however, and we went to work with a spirit and resolution to remedy it, and had the satisfaction of writing her the next day without apparently having suffered any material damage. The day following we pumped and bailed out the water, and the day after hove the ship out a third time, but had the misfortune to find her leak so bad that we were obliged to right her immediately. I next determined to lay the ship ashore at high water, and endeavor to repair her when the tide should leave her. The experiment was tried without effect, as she buried herself so much in the sand as to put it out of our power to do anything effectual. But the greatest misfortune was that, as the tide came in again, we found the ship leaked so bad that both pumps were necessary to keep her free this demanded an immediate remedy and as the leak was known to be aft i ordered the mizzenmast to be cut away in order to come at it the leak was soon discovered by this means but so situated that we could apply no other remedy than the lime and tallow that had been previously prepared for her bottom this mixed with oakum was driven down on the leak, and we had the satisfaction to see it reduced by these means to one pump by the time she was afloat. We now burnt a large quantity of lime, which we put into stiff mortar, and put on the first, laying a platform of boards over it, and covering the hole with several tons of stones to keep it firmly down. This new method of stopping leaks we found to answer very well, as in the course of a few days, when the mass had consolidated, The ship made very little water." As has already been remarked, while the trade carried on by such vessels as the Lila Bird was contrary to Spanish law, few attempts were ever made by the government to stop the illegal traffic, beneficial to Californian and foreigner alike, or to confiscate the offending vessel a few instances are recorded however where the unexpected took place and the innocent smuggler found himself in the toils of an almost forgotten law on her first voyage to california the leela bird armed like most vessels of her class got into unexpected difficulty with the commandant at san diego this incident occurred early in eighteen o three shaler and cleveland after reaching the pacific by way of cape horn had carried on a semi-clandestine but highly profitable trade in a number of the spanish ports of the west coast at san blas to mention a typical incident they secured sixteen hundred sea otter skins recently arrived there from california at a price which insured them a profit sufficiently large to cover the entire cost of the voyage after this transaction in which a mexican official as well as the americans broke the law and made a fortune Shaler brought the Lila Bird into the harbor of San Diego. Here, or so he had heard at the Tres Marias Islands, a parcel of sea otter skins, which might be obtained advantageously, awaited his arrival. Shortly after the vessel anchored in San Diego harbor, the commandant of the Presidio, Don Manuel Rodriguez, came aboard with all the pomp and dignity he could muster and left a guard on the Lila Bird to see that no contraband trade was carried on from the sergeant of this guard shaler learned that a few days before another american ship the alexander commanded by captain brown had been at san diego and had succeeded in purchasing several hundred otter skins from soldiers and residents of the town news of the transaction having come to don manuel's ears he had boarded the ship and seized the skins together with some of the cargo added to those already in his possession the confiscated furs increased the commandant's stock to nearly a thousand. These skins, wrote Cleveland, we made every effort to obtain from him, and though there is no doubt that he would have been as well pleased to sell as we should have been to purchase them, if the transaction had been practicable without being known to the people, yet as this was out of the question, and they were all spies on each other, he dared not indulge his desire of selling them to us had brown negotiated with the commandant first it is most probable he would have attained the whole quantity and at the same time have avoided the humiliating predicament of having his ship taken possession of by the rabble since there was no prospect of securing the furs held by rodriguez shaler and cleveland prepared to quit the harbor but having learned that a few skins might be purchased from private parties the Americans sent two boats ashore under cover of darkness to complete the transaction. One of those boats returned in safety, but the other, which contained the mate and two sailors, was seized by the commandant, who bound the men and left them under guard on the beach. The following morning, Cleveland and Shaler rescued the prisoners and regained possession of the confiscated boat. The proceedings were simple, as Cleveland narrates them. Quote, as a preliminary step, the guard on board were disarmed and made to go below. Then I went with four men, each with a brace of loaded pistols, to the rescue of those on shore. On landing, we ran up to the guard and, presenting our pistols, ordered them instantly to release our men from their ligatures, for they had been tied hand and foot and had been lying on the ground all night. This order was readily complied with by the three soldiers who had been guarding them, and to prevent mischief, We took away their arms, dipped them in the water, and left them on the beach, Having gotten the men safely on board, the next problem was to escape from the harbor without being sent to the bottom by the Spanish fort at the entrance. Shaler had already examined this fortress and found it equipped with eight brass nine-pounders, in fair condition, and an abundance of ammunition. In leaving the harbor, a vessel had to pass within easy musket shot of this fort, and as the breeze had almost died away, the escape of the Leela Bird seemed highly unlikely. The Americans, however, resolved to take the risk, and thus brought on the bloodless Battle of San Diego, March 22, 1803. Of this engagement, Cleveland gives the following account. While making our preparations, we perceived that all was bustle and animation on shore both horse and foot were flocking to the fort our six three-pounders which were all brought on the side of the ship bearing on the fort and our fifteen men were all our force with which to resist a battery of six nine-pounders and at least a hundred men as soon as our sails were loosed and we began to heave up the anchor a gun without shot was discharged from the battery and the spanish flag hoisted perceiving no effect from this they fired a shot ahead by this time our anchor was up all sail was set and we were gradually approaching the fort in the hope of preventing their firing we caused the guard in their uniforms to stand along in the most exposed and conspicuous station but it had no effect not even when so near the fort that they must have been heard imploring them to desist firing and seen to fall with their faces to the deck at every renewed discharge of the cannon we have been subjected to a cannonade of three-quarters of an hour without returning a shot and fortunately with injury only to our rigging and sails when we arrived abreast the fort several shots struck our hull one between wind and water which was temporarily stopped by a wad of oakum we now opened our fire and at the first broadside saw numbers probably of those who came to see the fun scampering away up the hill at the back of the fort our second broadside seemed to have caused the complete abandonment of their guns as none were fired afterwards nor could we see any person in the fort excepting a soldier who stood upon the ramparts waving his hat as if to desire us to desist firing in the san diego episode no great harm was done either to the battery on shore or to the fur traders But a few years later, real misfortune befell a certain George Washington Ears, whose vessel, the Mercury, had up to that time enjoyed a long immunity in the contraband California trade. The unfortunate and ungrammatical navigator afterwards wrote this version of the affair to the Viceroy I left China in the year 1808, and with a small amount of cargo, about $5,000, my first business was hunting furs this business i entered into with a russian governor and continued several years in which time i was in the winter season as far south as california for supplies and the purpose of taking seal skins i received several letters from the head people and padres of california entreating me to bring them many articles that they was in distress for and could not obtain them from the continent on my return to the Russian settlement, I obtained all the farming utensils, and that was in my power, with the promise to make whatever more the governor could. The hunting and sealing business I continued in until two years since, when I obtained a large amount of furs of the Russian governor. These furs I obtained on credit to bring him a large amount from Canton in goods and provisions. I bought an old vessel at Canton, loaded her entirely with provisions and loaded my own with provisions and goods and returned to the russian settlement where i landed the two cargoes accepting a small amount that i reserved for the benefit of obtaining supplies i entered into a contract with the russian governor to continue in the hunting business while employed in this business i received letters from cape san lucas entreating me to bring them many articles that they was naked and was in great want I obtained some of the same articles, again, that I had sold to Russian governor, and took on board wheat, beans, and other things that was wanting, and proceeded as far as Cape San Lucas. I made sail of but little, tarried a few days, and departed for the Russian settlement, having on board the same articles that is now in my inventory. My ship on my passage to the northward proved very leaky, and obliged me to have her repaired at the Russian settlement. My detention was very lengthy and occasioned me to expend nearly all my provisions, or instead of coming to California I should have proceeded on to Canton, after I had completed my ship, took on board, as I wrote, Your Excellency before, many articles for the Russian governor, to be left at his settlement at New Albion, and I delivered all that the Russian commander could take, leaving some of the things still on board my ship, and departed for California. On the 2nd of June, when lying near Point Conception, with my people filling up water, my carpenter cutting out oak for topmast caps, and completing the repairs of my ship, I was taken possession of by an armed longboat from the Spanish merchant ship Flora of Lima, Captain Don Nicolas Knorr. I used no means of defense, my sole purpose being for supplies, though I was treated in a hostile manner. My ship was taken to Santa Barbara the same night, and it would take volumes to note down the proceedings all conducted in low cowardly mean performances suffice it to say that the parties expected great plunder saying i had half a million on board the very commandant of the place who seems the most diverted and has an active part is the very government officer whom has not long since received pay to admit me to take on board wheat beef and other provisions and did use his endeavors to get me at monterey for the purpose of supplying the coast." Ears and his men were unceremoniously hustled ashore at Santa Barbara, and the cargo distributed, according to Ears' statements, between the officers of the Flora, the Spanish commandant at Santa Barbara, and the Mercury's own crew. For nearly two years Ears was kept more or less under restraint, without getting any satisfaction for the loss of his vessel and goods, though he bombarded the officials of the spanish government from port commander to viceroy with indignant protests of these protests the following are typical examples Quote, san diego july twenty sixth eighteen fourteen to his excellency commander-in-chief of guadalajara sir i can inform your excellency with candor i have become quite uneasy of my long detention It is now nearly fourteen months since i was deprived of my ship my property and my liberty nor have i been able in any manner whatever to learn which way that property is going or receive the smallest redress whatever having wrote your excellency more than once how my affairs have been conducted receiving yet no answer and being fearful of my letters miscarrying i must intrude on your excellency's patience again the clandestine manner in which my ship was taken and conducted and my treatment after being landed by one of his most catholic majesty's commanders deserves particular attention especially as this very commander had not long since been the means of my visiting the coast i am a subject of the united states of america an honorable and independent nation A nation that never admits its merchants the liberty of capturing and plundering merchant ships of another nation in a time of peace. In time of war, the inhuman treatment that I have received would not go unpunished by any Christian nation whatever. All cases admits a hearing and trial. And am I, who is the independent American commander of an honest merchant ship, to be deprived of this liberty? Had my ship been taken, and I not allowed a second shirt to my back, been put in confinement and sent to some capital for trial it would not have been equal to my treatment if property is liable to be taken human flesh i presume is not the damage sustained by heirs in the seizure of the mercury represented the maximum loss suffered by american fur traders on the california coast and in connection with this case it is well to point out that the lawless don nicholas noir as ears habitually calls him the real spelling was noet who acted contrary to the laws of all christian countries in seizing captain ship cargo and an indian concubine whom ears esteemed equally the same as if she had been lawfully married to him and even went so far as to confiscate six highly prized gold and silver watches which the russian governor of alaska had entrusted to ears for safe conveyance to canton he was not under the jurisdiction of the california government but had sailed from lima peru under direct orders from the viceroy the seizure of ears accordingly was not the work of provincial authorities nor did it at all represent their general attitude for the californians looked with great favor upon the foreign traders and local officials had no desire to destroy a commercial intercourse by means of which the people of the isolated province obtained all of their luxuries and many of the very necessities of life this eagerness for foreign trade on the part of the californians in spite of spanish and later mexican opposition is one of the striking characteristics of california history down to the time of the american occupation The plan of the parent company to maintain control of the province by isolating it from the rest of the world was defeated, not only by the enterprise of the foreigner, but also by the refusal of the native to limit himself to the beef and grain of his own raising or the cloth of his own weaving. This demand for more varied commodities met a welcome to foreign ships, and with foreign traders came inevitably the extension of foreign influence in the affairs of California. End of chapter 2